You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Our birthday demons have been doing a really bad job at protecting us this year, and I think we need to make some cake sacrifices. That always helps. Welcome, 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 friend. It's TK coming at you older than I was last week. My birthday was on Tuesday, so I was inspired to tell you all about birthdays. Where did they come from and why do we celebrate them? Who started them? What's the deal with cake and candles and why am I a Virgo? We are going to talk about all of that and more in today's episode. So grab yourself a slice of your favorite cake, mine's carrot with cream cheese frosting, and get settled in and let's get started. Usually, people love a birthday. The cake, the candles, everything. Unless you're like me, and every year, you're approaching 30. The age society tells you that you have to have all your shit together. And my shit is very much not together. (laughs) Just kidding, my shit's fine. But birthdays are fun. We love a birthday. Loved ones coming together and eating cake and blowing out candles and opening up presents. But where did all that stuff come from? How did we get here? Some kind of cake or dessert and blowing out of candles are pretty common worldwide, or at least in the Western world. But they have a very uncommon origin, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So first, we're going to talk about the facts, then the lore, and then why the Catholic Church hated birthdays. So for the most part, birthdays are universally celebrated in one way or another. The first mention of a birthday is in a written record describing a pharaoh's first birthday. But he wasn't a baby because babies can't be pharaohs. They were actually talking about the day that he became a god, aka the day of his coronation. Egyptians believed that when you were royalty and you became pharaoh or a leader, you were born again as an actual god, and that's way, way more important than your, you know, actual day of birth. So at the beginning, there was just one dude, the pharaoh, who had a birthday every year, and it stayed pretty much only in the royal family for like a hot minute. Only royalty or very, very rich people were allowed to celebrate. But common people 
were invited to these celebrations and parties, and they would both worship and celebrate the pharaoh or the royal member as a god. But the common man would finally get a chance to celebrate in Rome. And when I say man, I really mean only men. In the first century CE, the Romans caught on to what was going on in Egypt. And they were like, yeah, we want to celebrate too. And they did, but only with boys and men and rich ones. And the government even got involved. On very important individuals' birthdays, and then when regular citizens reached the age of 50, the government would send a honey, cheese, olive oil, and wheat cake as a gift to that person. And then for very, very important people, public holidays would be established to celebrate their birthdays. Ladies, we wouldn't get the government cakes or recognition until the 12th century, but rich ladies did begin to celebrate privately even in the first century. And if you know anything about Rome, you know that those folks came to party. They have like a whole ass god dedicated to wine and parties. So wine and food and merriment were definitely had. But it was not all drinking and fun and games. Religious stuff happened as well. And this was where religion and superstition start coming into the birthday scene. Sacrifices were given to the god that shared your birthday. And special thanks were given to the goddess Artemis. Little moon-shaped cakes with candles on them were offered at temples dedicated to Artemis and at people's homes. The moon represented Artemis herself, and the candles were to imitate the glow of the moon. Also, by blowing out the candle, your prayer or your wish would be sent to the heavens to Artemis. And then you could eat your honey, cheese, olive oil, wheat cake. Sounds delicious, right? But not nearly as delicious as our modern birthday cakes. You know the ones. I know you know. I know right now you're thinking back to when you were a kid and you were in the grocery store and you saw all those brightly colored cakes. You know, the blue ones, the pink ones, the green ones. Colors that food should not be. And you wanted those cakes so bad because they were just sugar on top of sugar on top of sugar. And in no way is this me throwing shade at cakes. I love those cakes. I love sugar so much. But the Romans are not the ones that we have to thank for our modern birthday cake. No, no, no. We owe that delicious concoction to Germany. In the 17th century, Germans started making cakes for the children and celebrating their birthday in celebrations called Kinderfests. And I mean, boy, howdy, those cakes were something else. Just chocolate all over the place. I'll put some pictures up on the Instagram, but oh my God, they look so good. But once again, it was only for rich people. So all the way into 17th century Germany, we had the same presents tradition. We had the same candles, the same cake, although more sweet, and the same superstition. So here's the thing, friend. I am not superstitious, but I am stitious. Minus the super. 
<laughs> and so were most ancient people. And let me tell you, birthdays and important life events carried a ton of superstition and mystical magical meaning. And it all starts with the stars. Birthdays and stars go hand in hand. Before the Gregorian calendar, everything was measured and timed by the stars and the moon. The OG birthday people, the Egyptians, assigned gods to each month and day. And there was an Egyptian zodiac that included 12 signs. The Nile, Amun-Ra, Mut, Geb, Osiris, Isis, Toth, Horus, Anubis, Seth, Basset, Sekhmet, and each sign except the Nile symbolized an Egyptian god or goddess. And it was determined by the stars. And we can't forget the Chinese zodiac, the rat, the ox, the tiger, the rabbit, the dragon, the snake, the horse, the goat, monkey, rooster, dog, pig, also star stuff. And last but definitely not least, the star signs, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. Whew. And these zodiacs were created by the Babylonians in 1000 BC. And each of these different zodiacs were determined by the constellations, the way the stars were in the sky at the time of your birth. But here's the thing. The special part is not that you were born, but it's what the stars tell about the rest of your life. In the book, The Lore of Birthdays by Ralph Linton, he says the chief importance of birthday records was to enable astrologers to chart horoscopes. So nobody really cared that it was the day that you were born. That was not the significant part. But... The day was important because it determined the course of your whole life. For the Egyptians, your sign could tell you so many things. What kind of obstacles or good things a person will meet in the course of their life, how their life will end, and what sort of person you will be. In China, your zodiac tells you your fated personality traits and predicts your destiny. The Babylonian zodiac tells you all sorts of stuff, like your strengths and weaknesses and what color you should wear next Tuesday if it rains. So for the people that believe and believed in these type of things, the stars told you everything. But my friend, the superstition does not stop there. Both the Greeks and the Romans believed that everybody had a protective spirit or demon who attended a person's birth and watched over them in their life. The spirit had a mystical relationship with the god on whose birthday the individual was born. So let me explain. There's three people involved in this. Number one, you, the person who was born. Number two, the spirit who attended your birth. And number three, the god who shares your birthday. And your birthday demon was a really important thing, person, demon, I don't know, an important thing, because it would relay stuff back to your birthday god, and it would protect you for your life. So you were kind of indebted to your birthday demon. So you would make sacrifices and offerings to your birthday demon to say thank you for doing such a super job or to say, hey, demon, get it together. 
Last year was a straight up garbage fire, (laughs) but that's not all your birthday demon did. The Greeks and Romans believed that dreams dreamed on the eve of your birthday should be remembered because they were predictions of the future brought to you by your little demon, which would hover over your bed on your birthday eve to give you the dream and also protect you. And your birthday demon followed you for your whole life. And you may be thinking, TK, oh, this is so silly, birthday demon, what? But the tradition of birthday demons didn't end with the Greeks and Romans. The idea of fairy godmothers and guardians and animal familiars all came from this birthday demon idea. They were just adapted and adopted to fit into new times and new cultures. So the fairy godmother in uh, the Cinderella movie... She's just a new school birthday demon. (laughs) So I know we talked a little bit about birthday candles on the Artemis cakes, but I want to circle back for a second because the superstition goes real deep with candles. Humans and fire go way, way back, and the cultural and spiritual connection between the two is really strong. People have used fire for worship and sacrifice and to ward off real and surreal enemies forever. And this is where birthday candles come in. Starting from the Greeks and the Romans and moving on to the Middle Ages with paganism, candles were endowed with magical properties to carry wishes and ward off evil. And that's a good thing because... They believed a person was very susceptible to bad, evil juju on their birthday. So, the candles not only carried your wishes and prayers into the heavens, but the flame itself was a form of protection. And speaking of protection, just in case all of that stuff didn't work... Birthday gifts were offered by the ancient Romans because they believed that surrounding the birthday person with gifts and loved ones was another way of warding off evil spirits and offering protection because sometimes birthday demons need help too. So as you can see, birthdays started out with strong religious and spiritual connections. But to the eyes of the Catholic Church, these were icky pagan traditions and that was not allowed. No birthdays for Catholics before the 4th century. But, TK, what about Christmas? The super big Christian celebration of the birth of Jesus. Don't worry. We're going to come back to that. So there's a couple reasons why the Catholic Church said no to birthdays at the beginning. Reason number one is their belief that humans are born with original sin. And number two is the fact that early birthdays were tied so heavily to pagan gods. And number three, the day you went back to heaven was considered to be way more important than the day that you came to earth. The Christian church considered birthday celebrations to be evil for a few hundred years for all of those reasons. But around the 4th century, 301 CE, Christians changed their minds and began to celebrate the birth of Jesus as the holiday of Christmas. And this was kind of done strategically 
This new celebration was accepted into the church partly in hopes of recruiting those who already celebrated the Roman holiday of Saturnalia. Also, another religion celebrated on December 5th. Excuse me, I mean December 25th. It was the day of celebration of the birth of the sun god, Mithra. And this god Mithra was the central god to the religion of Mithraism, which happened to be a very popular religion around the same time that Christianity was starting to be a religion. And Christianity was like, no, we cannot have this. We need to wipe them out. So they wanted to just get people to seamlessly convert. Like, hey, we, we've we got a celebration on the 25th too. Just come on over to Christianity. <laughs> and what really solidified the whole birth of Jesus on the 25th was that in 354 CE, Bishop Liberius of Rome ordered the people to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And once Christianity adopted the tradition of birthdays, they also adopted all of the things that came with it. Cakes, candles, being surrounded by loved ones, giving gifts, all of that. And all of those things continue to live on in our modern birthdays. So there you have it, friend. We've come to our final thought of this episode. And I want to tell you about Denmark and Kagenmond. Like I said before, some cake or a kind of shareable dessert is common almost worldwide for birthdays. But my favorite tradition that I found while I was researching was in Denmark. Children usually have two cakes for their birthday, a regular layered sponge cake and something called a kageman or a cake man. And the fantastic thing about this cake person is that it's almost like a little sacrifice. The birthday child gets to start all of the birthday festivities with a swift beheading, dismemberment, and disembowelment of said cake person. And I truly, truly want that next year for my birthday because nothing says birthday quite like a bunch of people screaming as I chop the head off of a little cake person. So that's all I have for you today, friend. Just a quick reminder, I am doing a giveaway on the For the Love of History Instagram. It's just a bunch of Japanese goodies like stationery and snacks. And all you have to do is rate or and or review the podcast. DM me a screenshot of the review and that's it. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to write anything. You could just click five stars, boom, or, or how many stars you feel is appropriate. <laughs> so that's all you have to do. It's not sponsored or anything. It's just me saying thank you to you, my lovely friend. And, you know, I'm going to say thank you again now. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I hope you have a chance to do something kind to yourself today. And if no one has told you, you're great. 
you're gonna have a great day or a great evening or a great tomorrow. Keep being you and I will see you next week in our mystery topic because it has not been uh, decided yet. So stay tuned for that and I'll talk to you next week. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.